Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Bros. Hey guys, it's Bobby Lieber coming to you from the future home of the LGBTQ plus museum. Everyone is really excited and totally getting along. This happens to be Bisexual Awareness Week, and no one has acknowledged it! Lesbian History Month was in March! Nobody said a goddamn thing! Of course, lesbians get a month and we get a week. So what's happening? Didn't you guys have an announcement? This is a little unexpected, but we are in a thruple situation. You're in a thruple? Let me tell you what's progressive now. Being alone. I love my life. I love my freedom. I love my independence. That's kind of sad. That I don't want to be in a thruple. I don't even want to be in a couple. Bobby, I had sex with that 65-year-old. Jesus, he's ripped. I know. It's like they injected steroids into Dumbledore. Oh my God, that's Aaron. He's very hot. Gay guys are so stupid. I know. But we've been smart enough to brand ourselves as being smart. It's our little secret. You met a guy? I don't think I'm his type. He's like gay Tom Brady. What are you into? One of these ripped idiots with no opinions? No, I like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. And I bet he's as intimidated by you as you are by him. I'm down for whatever. Yeah, I can do whenever and I can do whatever. Cool. Whatever, whenever. GIF of Michael Scott dancing. Office GIF? This person isn't gay. I need you to be honest with me. You like these growy meathead idiots. Oh, they're fighting. You like that? Hey. I can be tough oh, like your you boys. Like oh, that's what you like, huh? Oh, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, that's cool. Bye-bye. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Now I have to go to a Pride party and you're both too old to be in the pool. Please leave. People are threatening to boycott the museum. You can't say Lincoln was gay. If we don't do this, we're letting the heterosexual terrorists win. There are trans terrorists too. Caitlyn Jenner. You're so different from me. You're very intense. I like to keep things chill. I can be chill. Just like a manly man. Sir. What's up? I got you. Yeah. You don't need some help here, bro. Oh, okay, I'm gonna need some help here, bro. What is going on with you? My whole life, I prided myself on being self-reliant, but this guy has gone into my head. Maybe you're both bottoms and that's the problem. Bottom dance! Bottom dance! Gay sex was more fun when straight people were uncomfortable with it. God, do you guys remember straight people? Yeah, they had a nice run. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Bros, and the story is as follows. 
Bobby is a neurotic podcast host who's happy to go on Tinder dates and content not to have a serious relationship. That all changes when he meets Aaron, an equally detached lawyer who likes to play the field. The film is starring Billy Eichner, Luke McFarlane, Harvey Firestein, T.S. Madison, Monica Raymond, Guillermo Diaz, Guy Branham, Amanda Bears, Jim Rash, and Bowen Yang. It is written and directed by Nicholas Stoller and co-written by Billy Eichner. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I was thinking about letting Dan just like host this entire review because <laughs> never in my life have I ever felt like, Dan, this is your movie. <laughs> um thank you self-autobiographical at times maybe no i'm kidding <laughs> i definitely felt attacked yes <laughs> <laughs> oh man well bros has been very much anticipated for a number of different reasons one is in case if you are a billy eichner fan this is a time to rejoice the same way that you know sometimes comedies uh from you know judd apatow or in this case nicholas Stoller can give certain uh comedic actors who haven't had a showcase role yet, a chance to really shine. You know, I think a lot about Amy Schumer and Trainwreck, how up until that point she didn't have a role that could lead a romantic comedy, but that movie gave her the opportunity to do so. And Billy Eichner certainly gets his here, and him having co-written it with Stoller, I think, is just a match made in heaven here, because Nicholas Stoller, especially, like for me, uh, is a, co- a comedic director whose work I've really, really liked over the years. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is obviously extremely popular, uh, but then you also have movies like The Five-Year Engagement, and I know Neighbors has its fans out there as well, and uh, Storks. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I know Storks is, like, not, like, necessarily the top of anyone's, like, favorite list, but I remember that movie being better than I expected. So I like his sensibilities as a comedic writer, but partnering up here with Billy Eichner to tell a story about gay relationships and one that also feels so modern uh, and also, too, is historically uh, significant because this is the first major studio film uh, to have uh, an openly LGBTQ uh, principal cast. Actually, no, I want to clarify that. I think it's um, second after Fire Island earlier this year, right? We, we, we would consider that to be the first, right? Yeah. yeah, depending on how you want to define Hulu as a major studio, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's still an important moment regardless. Exactly, yeah. So there's a lot of really interesting things at play here because the movie itself, I think, knows that it's making history. And as a result of that, it wants its content to reflect it. So the movie is also talking about the history of LGBTQ cinema and also to just history in general with the creation of uh, this museum that Billy Eichner is uh, spearheading in the movie. So there's a lot to talk about here, uh, but I want to first kick it over to Dan. Dan, opening thoughts here. What did you think of bros? Loaded <laughs> question, I know, but. <laughs> well, um, like like I said before, like I felt very, very attacked by this movie. Um, and Matt, you probably did too in the opening couple of minutes. Oh my gosh. When he's talking about being a podcaster, (laughs) dear Lord. (laughs) I'm like, what a way to get film Twitter on your side right off the jump. But (sighs) I love this movie. Um, and it is something that 
I really only confirmed on a second viewing. Definitely, you know, we saw this at the world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, and I was very, very worried about, you know, the festival fever taking over and just the atmosphere in the room that evening taking over because it was a gigantic packed house and everyone was loving it like there i there were some lines that i worried that i missed because people were laughing so loud but watching it a second time everything that i felt about it the first time through was only confirmed this is line for line probably the funniest film of the year yeah it is also uh, extremely heartfelt and deep as much as as good of a comedy as it is the dramatic moments i thought really landed and in giving the main character um of bobby this job uh founding an lgbtq history museum this film is sort of embedded embedded within it it's argument for existing and for its own importance in a way that is meaningful and impactful but never feels heavy-handed and it's about the importance of gay people specifically but also basically every minority group being able to tell their story and the importance of them telling their own stories and how important that is for that group of people to see these stories and to see themselves reflected in media it is so important and this film does such a great job of doing that and i love this movie for how good it is on its own but i also love it for hopefully all of the films that will follow in its wake that now have a chance because this film has happened all right excellent opening words here for anyone that hasn't seen bros i want to just say uh for the record listen to what dan is saying here and definitely go out and support this movie if you have the time and the cash laying around because i do think that there is a lot here that speaks to uh more than just the gay community but just really on a broad universal level and in a way too like Like, that was what Eichner set out to do was, you know, and he makes fun of it in the movie. Like, hey, let's write a romantic comedy uh, that pretty much anybody can go see, but is about this community in a very highly specific way. So I I love all of those opening thoughts there, Dan. Thank you for sharing. Josh Parham, what about you? I, I feel like I haven't talked to you about this movie yet offline. Yeah, uh, I got to see this movie a couple days ago, and my reaction to it was that I did very much enjoy it. I do agree that it is incredibly funny, and I had a very similar experience with my audience where there was so much laughter that I was sort of missing some of those in-between jokes because the crowd was just very responsive to it. And I very much agree that it's an incredibly funny movie. I think that the deeper commentary it has about exploring some of these themes within the LGBTQ community are very interesting. And it does have a lot of heartfelt moments with these characters. I, I will say that I don't know if I'm like completely on the entirely loved it side of it. 
I do think that as much as it is very funny, I did find some of the humor to be a bit repetitive in terms of like it's sort of set up and payoffs. And I think that once you kind of find that formula and you can anticipate where the jokes are coming from, it lessens the impact a little bit. I also do think that as much as this movie is trying to have this larger commentary, I think it does sort of take all of that without too much nuance at times, which I have an understanding for because of the nature of the film. It's a big studio comedy and there's only so much kind of nuance you can really go into. But I I think at a certain point, it does sort of feel like it is suffering under the weight of all that just ever so slightly. But at the same time, I still found myself having an incredible time with the movie. It's very fun and enjoyable. And I had a really, really um, just entertaining ride with it. I don't think it's perfect, but it's very easily recommendable to me. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely can understand uh, that as well here. Um, A lot of people may may not know this about me, but when the rom-com genre hits, and I mean like really hits, these movies are some of like my favorite movies of the year sometimes. Movies like, I'm thinking like recent years, like The Big Sick is one that I loved wholeheartedly, made my top 10 that year. One of my favorite movies of all time is When Harry Met Sally. I love Sleepless in Seattle, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, as mentioned before. And Bros, for me, I think is one of the best romantic comedies that we've had in years. I would say it's definitely... <laughs> top of the list, actually, of the last decade, if anything. And a lot of that has to do with the character dynamics in this and also, too, how refreshing the perspective of it all feels while also, like, having kind of this self-aware quality about not just its characters, but also, too, like, its own place in cinematic canon, if you will. Um, I, I just really, really love how intelligently written this movie is, not just on a character level, but also to how it hits those familiar romantic comedy beats throughout uh, to give us something that feels, like I said before, like very modern. And it definitely has like the Judd Apatow uh, touch to it, right? Where it's like blending raunchy, but also like with a bit of like improv. And also too, it just feels very tightly scripted in a way that, is never losing focus of its lead character here, Bobby, played by Billy Eichner. And also, too, Aaron, uh, who's played by Luke McFarlane, who I know this is, like, not a debut or something like that, and I understand that he's been around, but I I apologize. I have not seen uh, (laughs) his prior work before this outside of, what, Kinsey, I think, is, like, the only movie I think I've ever seen him in. So... For me, personally, like, he was, like, a revelation in this. And, like I said, for anyone that is Luke McFarlane, you know, fans out there, I apologize that I'm getting on the uh, train so late. But I thought he was really, really fantastic here. I think their chemistry is really good. Um, And I agree. Like, when I was at that TIFF screening, the world premiere with Dan, I mean... The amount of times that we were laughing so, so hard at this movie, yeah, lines were missed and... I want to watch it again, not just to catch those jokes, but also to kind of just bask and relish in the vibes that this movie puts out. And I kind of want to start off like leading into Billy Eichner, because when I talk about vibes, he is a vibe. (laughs) Yeah, He very much is a vibe that you're either on board with or you're not going to be on board with because he is like the definition of 
loud and proud. You know, like he, he is a guy that has so much energy. And for some people, that is a turnoff versus as Luke McFarlane portrays in this movie, a conventional like broy type meathead who goes to the gym and talks in like bro terms, sending office gifts of Michael Scott via text message. <laughs> uh, and I think that that contrast between the two works very well here in a like opposites attract sort of way. But but I can I can wholly understand. And I'll tell you this right now. If you're not a fan of Billy Eichner's brand of humor or his personality, um, not on a personal level, maybe, but just on a energy sort of wavelength, I can see how this movie may not work for some people just due to that reasoning alone. Yeah. Um, what you were saying earlier, Josh, about how sometimes you can sort of like you get to anticipate the joke structure of this movie by the end. Like that is very, very true. And I think that is because like it is very much Billy Eichner's voice throughout this movie, even for the characters that he is not portraying himself. Mm -hmm. It is very much his style of humor. And that's like, that's my biggest reservation in like recommending it to people is that if you're not a fan of Billy Eichner, if you don't like his style of humor, you may not like this as much because it it is in every way a Billy Eichner showcase. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. And there's still funny moments, too, yeah. even when you can't anticipate them. It's just I did notice at a certain point it's like, OK, this movie seems to be very fond of the setup where somebody is talking about a very ridiculous situation they would never do. Smash cut to them in that ridiculous situation. And, you know. It's still funny, but at a certain point when you can very easily predict that that's what the joke is going to be, there's only so many times you can go back to that well and have it be just as impactful. Yeah, I agreed. And like the jokes are funny. They're all yeah. very funny or varying levels of funny, but funny. And but yes, you do sort of feel that that structure. And I do think, too, that like the tone of it at least the tone of the humor all feels very similar. It's not like there are a ton of different types of jokes. Like there are some other movies this year that just went like went all out and finding as many jokes and different types of humor as they could stuff in. And this one, it's all very similar in tone. Not that the movie is like very even in tone though. Like the movie takes its time and like really, I thought balances the, romance and comedy and drama pr pretty well but yeah sometimes the tone of it the tone of the jokes anyway can be a little samey but like i still laughed my ass off at most of them <laughs> well a lot of it is like 
not necessarily uh, going for comedic set pieces. Like, there is no shitting and throwing up in the streets like in Bridesmaids type of scene. But it has, like, these quips and one-liners that are just so thoughtfully written in, in a way that they're surprising, they come fast, and they hit really hard. <laughs> and I loved it for that. But, like, the thing that uh, I really responded to here just in terms of the writing was how Billy Eichner did, like, this almost, like, reflection, I guess, maybe on his own life experience and, like, inserting it into this movie. It felt so incredibly meta at times where one could argue that, like, by playing Bobby the way that he does, like, it's not necessarily even a character. It's just Billy Eichner playing himself and incorporating some real-life elements into this movie because of the whole, you know, like, New York New Yorker who is uh, very, very critical of his surroundings, but also, too, uh, like, very self-aware of, like, the type of person that he is. And he exudes confidence, even though, like, internally he lacks confidence. And also, th- th- there's also a lot in here about him as an openly gay man trying to push for progress, not just for himself, but also too for the community in different uh, areas, whether it's, you know, like he, like he has this podcast or whether it's opening up this museum or uh, even like this idea of, Hey, Billy, why don't you write us like a gay rom-com and we'll make it into a movie and yet he incorporates like all these other personal elements into it, it like as almost like as a way to like showcase how people are, like want to grant him opportunity. But it also feels like the world is also holding him back, too. I, I don't know if I'm making sense by saying this, but it just feels like there's been a lot of struggle, both externally and internally in his life that's put into this. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I think you can really feel throughout a lot of the movie him sort of like uh, chomping at the bit, you know, a little to like really let loose with all these ideas and all these jokes that he hasn't really gotten the chance to tell maybe in quite this way. Um, There is like so many, there are so many jokes about gay dating specifically in new york but also just in general mm-hmm. that i i was like wincing as i was laughing at it because like yep yep been there <laughs> been there yep had that yep definitely had that hook up with that guy before uh-huh yep and it's the kind of humor too that like i can almost imagine the studio you know, initially saying, yeah, like, Billy, go write uh, a gay romantic rom-com. We would love that, please. And he comes back with the script, and they look at it and go, oh, 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 you you decided to do that. I don't know if we can do that, Billy. And then Billy, like, probably turned around and said, well, this is how it is, guys. Like, this is real life. This is what our relationships are like. This is what dating is like. you got to have this in the movie. Now, I'm not saying that that's how it went, but it almost feels that way at times because – like you said, Dan, so much of it is so highly specific, and I feel like it hasn't been portrayed this way in a studio movie, at, at least, um, ever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really kind of wild to like feel like you're seeing yourself on screen in so accurate a way, and yet it's not you. 
Um, so, 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 what do you tell me? You're telling me that you've been the Steve in in those situations I, in life before. I have not been the Steve, <laughs> but I have been in situations with a Steve, and I do not know a gay man who does not know a Steve. Like he, like the, all of these characters, all of these characters, even the smallest side character in this movie feels like, yep, every gay man knows that guy. Yep. <laughs> And it is a movie, I think, that is so aware of gay, like, not just its place in gay history, but, like, the the larger scope of gay history and tries to put as much, like, like education for the straights in as it can while not feeling too heavy-handed. I mean, honestly. I, or dumbing itself down. Yeah, and, like, I'm maybe not the best person to speak on that because I am a gay man. But at both time, both screenings that I've been to of this movie, I feel like there was, when people laughed at jokes, it was not just the gays in the audience that were laughing. Like, it, these jokes are funnier and probably more personal to gay people and specifically gay men um, in a way that like, you know, is a little hurtful, like, ouch, Billy, but yep, you're accurate. You're right. But ouch, but it's still funny enough for people who aren't gay. Right. Cause this really speaks to how a movie story can be drenched in specificity, but that still can speak to a universality that can reach other people because Yes, there are things in this story that very much speak to a gay man's perspective, but you don't need to be a gay man to understand the concept of trying to find a relationship when you're older and kind of jaded and and that being elusive, then you finally find it, but you're insecure about it. Like people can still relate to that under uh, to that kind of mentality, too. And I think the movie does for the most part, a really good job of understanding the universal themes while getting at a very particular viewpoint. I did very much appreciate that. I think that when it does sort of do, as you said, Dad, the, the history lesson for the straights, like, I, I get it because it is a big comedy and you do need to kind of have those touchstones for the members of the audience that don't have those experiences. I do think it gets a little clunky in the storytelling a bit and if you are kind of resistant to the movie going into that direction, I do very much understand. I also understand why they needed to do it that way. But I, yeah, like some of that stuff, very funny moments for sure, especially with like their whole group. But when it gets more sincere with kind of the history lessons, I, I do think it's not quite as cleanly executed at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot about like the scene where Bobby and Aaron go and watch like Brokeback Mountain at the movie theater together. The, the, blow, the Brokeback Mountain knocked off. It, right, sorry, yes. Yeah. Apologies. <laughs> uh, and yet, but like, that's the thing though, right? It's like such an easy target for a straight audience. Like, oh yeah, like we associate like gay cinema because, you know, most straight mainstream audiences are not aware of indie gay cinema. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. So it's like, like, like an easy target. Yeah, because like the joke's about, oh, you know, the, the straight guys you know pretending to be gay in a movie and they win an oscar like not saying that doesn't still happen but that is definitely a joke that gay people have been making for like 20 30 years at this point and (laughs) you know i don't think that's really really a joke for us in the movie (laughs) sure sure i don't want to like reveal the cameos in this movie 
too, too much, but there's one in particular that I need to highlight, and that is Deborah Messings. Shocked that she was in this movie, actually. I thought that was just going to be a name drop, and that was just going to be the joke, and when she actually showed up, I was was very surprised that she was game for it. She's so funny in that scene, and a little bit, too. Like, I was dying laughing. The second time that I saw it, I I brought a another gay friend of mine and he was a little upset at first and I don't blame him because part of the line on this movie was that the cast is entirely LGBTQ people even in mm-hmm. straight roles so having Deborah Messing in it feels a little bit like well that's not entirely true but she's so funny and is such a you know icon in the LGBTQ community that I I can't get too upset about it. She kind of gets a pass. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, there are a couple of other cameos in this too that also fall under that category. But then you have appearances by like Har- Harvey Firestein, who I just absolutely love anytime i get a chance to see harvey in anything period honestly i think my crowd reacted more at him showing up than deborah messi (laughs) (laughs) my only disappointment was that he wasn't playing himself yeah yeah yes could have been himself and it would have worked that scene would have worked even better honestly yes but anytime we get to see him is is great i yeah i love harvey firestein and Bowie Yang's uh, scene about like <laughs> oh, <laughs> where they come and they they do this like sales sales pitch to him for the uh, for the museum. Incredible. He is so hysterical in that scene. I I don't think there was a second where he was on screen that I wasn't laughing. Oh, uh, his description of like the theme park ride inside the museum is incredible. Like when he got to the part of describing like a zombie Reagan chasing people down, just yelling, "It's born again, America!" I I was done. And at the end of the yes, congratulations on my money. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have to throw a pride party, and you're both too old to be in the pool please leave like <laughs> it's funny because it's true <laughs> yep <laughs> what did you guys think of the i, I don't want to name drop people what did you think of like the other cameos of very recognizable faces uh playing the historical figures in the museum <laughs> <laughs> i really that was another one where like i thought that's just like a name drop of a joke. And then when they brought it back, I I died. Yeah, worked a lot better than I thought it was going to, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And like, obviously, like so many of these are like Billy Eichner calling in favors from oh, his yes. friends. But like, I when they're this funny, <laughs> who cares? And then just also talking about to the central romance i mentioned before it very much is an opposites attract type of dynamic here between bobby and aaron and they both have uh self-confidence issues that they're working through and it's ultimately about how they're able to open up to each other and be vulnerable enough to allow like the other to 
help them through what it is that they are trying to get through with their own identity. And that is something that for Bobby, Eichner has like this one monologue that takes place like on a beach where he talks about uh, his 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 view of himself and his confidence, where I was kind of in shock that Eichner had that kind of a dramatic monologue like in him like I know he can be funny but he was very affecting in that moment in a way that really surprised me and Luke also too like I said like yeah he's like kind of portrayed as like the more masculine like bro-y type but I think those moments where he also is equally as vulnerable in opening up about himself uh, to Bobby uh, to the point where their relationship got to a point in the story where I thought to myself, okay, like I know how this is all going to go because this is a studio rom-com at the end of the day, but there is still a lot of emotional maturity behind this in a way that makes a lot of sense due to how complicated people's uh, feelings can be. Yes. And again, they're both of their hangups feel like painfully real as gay men in their like, very early 40s in specifically in a city like New York. It is, you know, Bobby had to, you know, not to give too many spoilers, but Bobby grew up in believing that he's the only person that he can count on and has to take all of that from within himself. And Aaron is this guy who just believes that he can't, be fully himself because he has not had the that gay culture around him where he can see himself he thinks that the only way to get on in the world is to if not necessarily present as straight then to present doing straight or heteronormative things and if he's going to marry a man to you know marry a man that still looks and feels a certain way has a certain level of respectability to it but he's neither of them do relationships in quotes and yet they find themselves falling for each other against all odds and like i love that kind of story anyway but telling it with these two specific characters who have the sort of hang-ups and outlooks that they have it felt really kind of, I think, personal to a lot of gay men. And it felt, it's certainly not a dynamic that I have ever seen, in, certainly in a mainstream movie, but I don't even think even in a lot of gay movies. Yeah, I I did find that Eichner's character, like Bobby, I think is given a little bit more complexity, though, than, than Aaron. And I think it's also just to the fact that I think Luke McFarlane is a little inconsistent in terms of how effective he is. There are times where he is also very funny, and I think especially towards the end gets into some very effective emotional um, kind of moments for that character. I think that a lot of times he does just come across as kind of boring, and I get that that's sort of the character, character. too. Right, yeah. But I think at the same time, though... There's a difference between being boring as like an acting choice and as an acting trait. And I, I think at times McFarlane does kind of lean more towards the latter for me. He doesn't really, I don't think he's that 
particularly charismatic, even when they're in moments where he's kind of supposed to be. So he he's not terrible. I wouldn't say that, but I did find his performance to be a little limiting in terms of how like truly great he could be in the role. He can come across a little bland at times. Yeah. Like a little hunky gay love interest from central casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that. Although I, I did find that, especially later in the movie, there's a lot of really good, subtle work that he's doing with trying to navigate how he, like his growing feelings for Bobby versus, you know, the sort of story that he has always told himself. That That, that is true. I, I think yeah. it's also just that, like, as I said, Bobby's, turmoil his internal turmoil for throughout this story does feel like it's getting to a lot more nuance and then aaron you kind of very easily clock that it's you know the the straight acting gay guy who's sort of afraid to embrace the other elements of this community and like we get a moment where he is literally telling bobby to just like not be as don't be so gay in front of my family and it's like i mean i have seen that scene many 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 times before and i just don't feel like Ultimately, his character arc is as interesting as Bobby, which I guess if you're Billy Actor writing the movie, that, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, you, you save most of the good stuff for the character you're playing. But I do think that ultimately means that that character isn't quite as captivating. And I kind of feel like his performance matches it at times. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I don't I don't disagree with that. I do think though that like the material that Billy Eichner has given himself in this is phenomenal. Like Matt was saying earlier, that the monologue that he has on the beach about confidence I genuinely did not think that he had that in him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also did not know that he could do country music singing either. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, yeah. And honestly, that song at the end, I, not going to lie, it got me. Oh, yeah. It eventually got me, too. Like, you definitely see the comedic setup in the beginning. And, and even the song kind of calls out how kind of like if you're not really into it and you're super cynical you, you won't <laughs> like it like even the song has a self-awareness of that and i i admit that at the beginning it was like okay this is the moment it's a very comedic song like trying to also be emotional you know i don't know if i'm fully into it but i, I admit that by the end of it, it it did win me over for sure yeah and i hate country music <laughs> Not a particularly I, fan of it myself either. <laughs> I like specifically Garth Brooks. Like it, that's by far, I can't even explain it, but somehow that is the funniest country star for a gay man. <laughs> like it just is. Uh, all right. Final thoughts here on bros. Anything that we didn't mention that you want to mention here? Uh, we could pass it over to Josh first. I uh, there's like two things I do want to mention one we did like briefly talk about it but I do think the funniest scene in the movie for me is the, the foursome scene oh my god oh it's just like <laughs> y- yes it it does definitely feel like it is pulling from some personal experiences and yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a little accurate it certainly does have that but it's also very funny and also like the character of Steve 
I what I mostly appreciated about that moment too is that he is definitely supposed to be the joke, but I don't think the movie is like completely laughing at his expense. Like it's not no. like oh he's so ugly and that's the reason why we don't want him here. It's like no he's just an awkward dude and he's making yeah. this thing very weird and uncomfortable. Like that is the source of the joke, not just because it's like a effeminate, not conventionally attractive gay guy that's here. And I appreciated that aspect about that scene too, and I think that speaks to a real authenticity that. Uh, was very welcomed, and that's why I think that scene is so effective in that moment. I really, there's part of me that wishes that they had made Steve more of a running joke throughout the movie. Yeah. Like, if he had just yeah. shown up everywhere, like, that would have been, like, chef's kiss beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that would have been so great. Um, and then the other thing that I thought about, which might be a weird thing to to hone in on, but I still found it to be so interesting just this one little thing and dan you probably noticed this too but in like the really like extended hookup scene between bobby and aaron you know when they're just in bed oh, together yeah um they they pull out poppers yes and they did but, but what i found so interesting about it and maybe the most radical thing that this movie does is that it's not commenting on like they don't make it a joke which normally like if this movie was very much for the straights it would be like oh what's that and you know they take it and then there's a big reaction to it but there wasn't a reaction it was just introduced as like this is part of you know their their interaction and they just moved on and i know it sounds weird to maybe hone in on that but for a big studio movie to just introduce that particular thing and then not say anything about it i found to be as i said a pretty radical thing for a major studio movie to do and i think that you know the movie's not littered with moments like that but that one in particular i found to be pretty a pretty powerful representation of like something that is just a part of gay life that is just accepted and we don't need to make a big deal out of it and sort of explain it for an entire audience you can just understand that it's here and just part of the fabric of of the storytelling. So I, I really do want to give kudos for them and, and kudos to the studio for allowing that in with no other context. Yeah. Yes. The lesser Judd, like a movie that Judd Apatow directed would have had a whole yes. poppers, extended poppers scene. Uh, yeah. And this movie did not do that. And yes, thank thank you to everyone involved. <laughs> Before I uh, kick it over to Dan's final thoughts, I'll just chime in here really quickly and say I really liked the dinner scene with Aaron's uh, family and how he tells Bobby he has to uh, tone it down a bit and the way that that, you know, affects uh, Bobby during that scene. And you just see Billy Eichner essentially like holding back like all this anger, emotion and frustration uh, until it finally just lashes out of him. Um, I really, really liked that scene a lot. I I literally laughed every time he picked up his wine glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like even and that was one of those moments where like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And that partially made me laugh more because I was anticipating what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's my other note here? Jim Rash. Ah. That's it. Just Jim Rash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like I said, I don't want to like spoil cameos, but there was a um, <sighs> Night at the Museum cameo, I'll just say, that was also very surprising to me. 
and played in very, very well with the whole LGBTQ museum aspect. I, I thought it was pretty clever. I, I know it goes back to what you were saying before, Dan, about how, well, it isn't all gay actors in this movie, but uh, these moments are so, so, so small. And this is like the proper usage of the word cameo. Yeah. I feel like in many cases, because I, I do think the word cameo gets overused now. And it's like if you appear in like two scenes in a movie or even one extended scene, that's not necessarily a cameo. You know, mm-hmm. that's you know, that that's a role at that point. <laughs> so there's so many like one liners and so many jokes that I, I could call out uh, specifically like. I know that people have like focused on like lines from the trailer, like, you know, you know, he's like a gay steroid, like Dumbledore or like things like that. I don't know. But like, I once again, just want to highlight how smart I think the writing is at times in fitting in into the romantic comedy genre while also telling this very highly uh, specific story that has to speak not just to the community that is representing, but then also be broad enough to appeal to a wide general audience on top of that, being that it is a studio movie. There, there's such a balancing act here. And I really just admire that the writing was able to capture that as well as it did for, for me. I think that's it for now. Um, the last thing I'll just say, too, is that Uh, Nicholas Dollar, I think just as a filmmaker, as a visual storyteller, I I think that he's improved so, so much over the years. I mean, I I think back to like forgetting Sarah Marshall. And while I think that movie is absolutely hilarious, great characters, fantastic performances. uh, It's not, in my opinion, like the most like well shot movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, And over the years, I can just see that there is a growth there as a filmmaker and as a visual storyteller. And here, yes, of course, it's got like studio backing from Universal. So it's going to have a certain look to it. But it's one that I find to just be very aesthetically pleasing for uh, this genre. So, you know, anytime a studio rom-com just lands this well uh, for me, it like it's just hitting a very, very sweet spot ultimately. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. All right, Dan, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I love the performances from every single one of the actors who are playing the uh, the board of the LGBTQ oh museum. God. It was like a game of one-upsmanship of like who can out-funny the other. <laughs> yeah, I thought T.S. Madison was hilarious. Miss Lawrence steals every time she yes. <laughs> just steals the scene. Love, 
love Miss Lawrence in this. Um, and Don Marie Jones was hilarious as well. Um, there is a great lesbian joke where they're like <laughs> pinning him down. Yeah. That is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> My God, yeah. I it's so bad because like I don't want to spoil the jokes because they are they are so they're so good in context and just like taking them out feels like a little bit of a betrayal. But there are so 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 many good jokes. I love all the references throughout the movie to other classic rom-coms. Yeah. Um, it, it specifically calls out You've Got Mail and When Harry Met Sally, but there are also, like, lots of references to other ones as well. Like, And they're not always, like, uh, the most obvious things, but I loved them. And then there's also, like, some certain things that they're, like, obviously, like, poking fun at, like the Glee joke, for example. The Glee joke <laughs> is... My favorite, I think, in the whole movie, because it's like it's true, um, and th- th- that is one that I really won't spoil because it. <laughs> just wait for it. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that is probably my favorite joke, other than in the scene where, um, so Aaron and Bobby meet at a launch party for a new app and the name of the app and what it is for i am not going to spoil but it's it's very clearly a billy eichner special like that is a yes. billy eichner joke <laughs> and it's so fucking good <laughs> Yes, and uh, it's appealing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, this is hilarious and like dead on satire. And also like, can that app please exist? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And also in that scene... The the literal ghosting when Aaron just like disappears. Oh my god, that was so great too. It was so <laughs> good, and it's like that literally happens. He literally pulls a Batman. Yes, I love that. It literally happens in every like every gay bar every time. Also, really, really love uh, the the scene where he's having dinner with his friends and two of them announce that they're in a three uh, in a thruple. (laughs) (laughs) So sincerely too, (laughs) which leads to another joke that we have definitely seen versions of in other movies, but still like got me good (laughs) and led to like very sweet at the ending. I will say the, I think it is like the first real cameo in the movie but the costume that she is wearing is like give this movie an oscar not for best costumes just for that costume (laughs) rainbow um that's all i'll say um it's hilarious i died there's so many things in this that are just wonderfully incredibly accurate and that's why they're funny and i i love it and just like thank you billy eichner i said it after the first screening like this movie attacked me on a deep personal level and i thanked billy eichner and asked him for more because it's so well done i really love this movie 
I think that it is, even on a second watch, it was still hilariously funny. And it was still, I still like, you know, got a little teary at the end, even though you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just done really well. And I think that is a tribute to, you know, both the writing and the screenplay, but also, like you said, Matt Nicholas Stoller's direction is just very, very solid. I, it, there's, I don't think there's a bad thing that I can say about it, really. And there is some moments where this movie, like the cinematography, that looks like actually legitimately pretty great as opposed to just good. And another thing, too, is that, like, you know, and this is a common criticism I have of Judd Apatow romantic comedies is that they tend to be on the longer side. Uh, this movie, this movie clocks in at under two hours, two hours, which is like, you know, a revelation for Judd Apatow movies that they could be right. under two hours. <laughs> yeah, it's um, still kind of on the longer end for does, romantic yeah. comedy, but for a Judd Apatow movie, yes, it is much <laughs> shorter than we usually get from him. Yeah. And again, like it just, it, it works. It works. And like, like I said, like all the, the, both the audiences I've seen it with have not been exclusively gay men and everyone in the crowd has seemed to be enjoying themselves watching it. So like, that's really my final thought is like gay, straight, any of the other letters of the alphabet soup of queer life, no matter which one you identify with, go see this movie i promise you that it like whatever preconceptions you may have about it it it, it is not that it is better i was not expecting this to be nearly as good as it was and like yeah part of that is like just being skeptical about the first studio gay adult rom-com but part of that is also like just being burned by so many gay films that seemed like they were going to be good and just ended up disappointing. And I'm sure Josh, you can <laughs> identify with Streets this. are littered like, with them. <laughs> we will go see anything as just give us two gay men kissing. And, yeah. And please be good. <laughs> you know, please. <laughs> and that's why it's a part of like, I feel bad because, like, I do feel like we're kind of grading Luke McFarlane on a curve. And, like, he is definitely at the upper end of the, like, you know pretty but boring love interest in these gay movies and like but i do think he does a good job but yeah, he he's not bad job. he does a good job especially when compared to all these other <laughs> performances that we've had to sit through just because the guy has great set of abs yeah he, he's a little more than just just yeah. the abs but yes. <laughs> at times it does feel like that is kind of mostly what he's there yeah. for. Which, not complaining, but not you know complaining at all. <laughs> but just in terms of the acting ability, it you know, yes, he is on the upper end, as you said, Dan, of what we <laughs> normally get from these types of actors in these roles. But you know, it's still kind of a ceiling I felt. Yeah. Hey listen, yeah. his line delivery of hey what's up is legendary at this point <laughs> in my eyes. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> I also love the um when he does like when he sends that in the text conversation and he says that gif of michael scott dancing he lee looks like really proud of himself yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love it the little things that i love I, I love a movie that can capture the uh dating anxieties of texting very well <laughs> oh oh my god the scene i can't believe i almost forgot to mention this the scene where 
Billy uh, takes a, tries to take an ass pick for uh, oh my god for the guy at Pfizer. Oh my god! <laughs> Must see pick, pick of, of ass. ass. <laughs> that might be that might be my favorite line delivery of the whole movie. Honestly, <laughs> Matt Wilkes, thank you for your service in many many gay movies. Um, yes, so yeah, that was a great cameo that I will absolutely spoil as a cameo because he's hilarious. My ultimate takeaway, really, from this movie, like go see it. It's not just a good gay movie; it's a good movie. Period. <laughs> All right, Josh, what grade would you give it out of 10? I, uh, I'm i going to give it a 7 out of 10, which I, I think might seem kind of low for some people. But, like, I did really like the movie. I just have a little bit more reservations just sort of about the overall execution for me. Uh, but it's like a high 7 if if I can sort of qualify it. Like, I still really enjoyed the movie. I think it's very fun and smart at, at many moments and very heartfelt. I do think that it has a limit of how far it can go for me personally, but I still found myself enjoying it thoroughly throughout, and it's very easy to recommend. So I didn't quite love it, but I still had a really good time with it. Okay. Dan Bear? So my grade has gone on a bit of a journey. Immediately after seeing it at TIFF, I was at a nine. And then for the official MVP review, I kind of like, I, I hedged my bets a little and gave it an eight because I wasn't sure how it would hold up if like that was festival fever and just me being feeling so attached to <laughs> Billy's character in this and the whole thing. And then a second viewing uh, reconfirmed my initial suspicion. This is a nine for me. It's one of my it's definitely not perfect, but it is something that really spoke to me and I love it. Spoke to me in different ways. Um, I think that just in regards to the romantic comedy genre, this one for me was very memorable, very well done. And on that note, I too am at a 9 out of 10. This is honestly one of my favorite movies of the year. So in terms of Oscar potential for bros... I think that there is a world where Universal could push this pretty hard for an original screenplay nomination. And, you know, I could see it going the same route as some other comedies have in the past where it manages to get a WGA nomination because, you know, a lot of films are ineligible and there's a spot open for it in there. Um, I think we all know that Eichner is going to you know, campaign this very, very heavily. But one other element of this movie that I wouldn't sleep on because we've seen uh, comedies in general like make it into uh, this category, I really would not be surprised if Love Is Not Love, the song that's in the movie, goes for an original song uh, nomination. I will absolutely be campaigning for it. Yeah, and it's co-written by Mark Shaman, who yep. has, like, what, seven, eight Oscar nominations at this point? Like, so he's a pretty big branch favorite. The, the one concern I have about the song, though, is that comedy songs tend to struggle in this category. Like, you could get yeah. a song from a comedy, but if the, like, content of the song is comedic, sometimes that does have trouble breaking in. Now, what I think gives the song 
uh, benefit, not only just being co-written by Shaman, is that it also does have some seriousness to it. Like it does get to a very heartfelt message at the same time. So, and that could help it. It also features within the movie, it's in the text of the film. So it's not just an end credit song that they tacked on. It, it's actually woven within the narrative that would help it too. But I, I just would caution some people just be aware that this category tends to reject songs that are overtly comedic in their kind of premise. And I do think that might be one roadblock for them for that particular song getting nominated. I'm just saying that like if Seth MacFarlane can get an Oscar nomination for Ted in this category, then well, Billy but, Eichner. But that was a <laughs> weird year. Like But also that that song is not like comedic though. Like it, it's a funny kind of song, but the intention of it is rather sincere. It, it's not like a jokey song. Yeah. No, you're making good points here. I, I don't disagree with that at all. You know, I think of like um, the Don't Look Up song, you know, that was in contention, yeah. but that was just all joke. It wasn't serious at all. And like, like I, I get it, though, but what I'm getting at is like just in terms of like campaign priority, they should obviously push for the screenplay. But if they get a sense that that is not going to pan out, then I would go hard on the song because Billy Eichner gets an Oscar nomination either way. Oh, oh, sure. And I mean, just like. Seth MacFarlane did for that song. So, like, I right. can I can definitely see it happening. I'm just sort of cautioning people that there, are, there is this tendency within the music branch when it comes to original song that anything that really is overtly comedic, tends they tend to shy away from. I, I'm just saying that given that trend to just, you know, put your expectations in check in terms of whether or not that'll happen. Sure. And, you know, I think we've seen over the last couple of days, like the best original song, like category start to take a little bit more shape. You know, for the longest time, I feel like it's been uh, Top Gun Maverick with Lady Gaga and everything else is kind of like in flux. But now we have a contender with this. We have White Noise now. So there's a lot of other things that are like starting to pop up that is getting me uh, pretty excited about where the category is ultimately going to go. Yep. I, I think there are some interesting turns in that category for sure that we can see. Yeah, totally. Anything else about its awards uh, prospects? I mean, obviously, Billy Eichner, Golden Globe musical comedy, like, goes without saying. I would think so. Yeah. Any Anything else or? I mean, I do think that screenplay and song are really the only things yeah. that are going to be seriously in contention. Like you said, I think that Billy Eichner would probably be a Globe nominee, but, you know, not that that's a throwaway, but it's in, I, I would definitely say we probably would chalked it up to they got to fill out the the musical or comedy category over at that show and he would be a worthy nominee but i think we would all just say like yeah that's the only place he would really show up for a best actor mention and i don't think anything else above the line is really in contention for or or really below the line either i, I think those are the only two spots we can really realistically see any kind of campaign for yeah totally all right, uh, that'll do it here for our review of Bros on the next Best Picture podcast. Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Phil. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all 
next time. Hey Hey there! there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Sleepover Cinema, Cinema. our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.